everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the SQ Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Steve Sales, joined once again by Tommy Gallagher. Tommy, how are we feeling? Good. It's great to be back. Good uh, first Sunday of NFL football for you on the couch? Um, Watching football, yes. Colts losing and my fantasy team losing, no. That's an imperfect week for you. No, it's not because no, Notre Dame won. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Isn't that nice? Yeah, it could be a long NFL season for me. It very well may be. But you know what? We'll move past that because we're not talking about the NFL. We're talking about the Irish. So uh, we played NC State on Saturday. Uh, just, you know, a very brief overview of kind of what we knew about NC State going into this game. Uh, we knew that they were uh, they had won 16 of their last 17 at home. I do not remember who that one loss was to. I don't, know um, I don't remember. Anyways. Uh, we knew that they had a very good defense, uh, particularly at defensive end and corner. They've had a lot of all ACC players cycling through there recently, and they have a couple NFL prospects there. Uh, we knew that they acquired transfer Brennan Armstrong from Virginia, who uh, we hadn't actually played before because he was out in 2021 when we played at Virginia. But he was paired once again with Robert Anai, who was his offense coordinator, who we played at Virginia. And then he was also the offense coordinator of Syracuse last year, and that didn't really go too well for him. And that's about what we knew. How did you feel going into the game? Um, I was a little unsure. I mean, some of those stats, obviously, the lots of home winning, that's always a little scary. First road test of the year. Um, and then certainly Hartman had had some struggles against them in the past, granted a different system. But I, I think I felt like we were probably going to win by 10 or so. But I also knew this very well could be a grinded out win late type of game where everyone just kind of breathes a sigh of relief at the end. So. I don't know. Ended up turning pretty well. Yeah, I think I uh, texted everybody something along the lines of like 35 to 10 the morning of. Uh, I thought maybe we would start a little slow as we kind of adjusted to, you know, the change in competition and, you know, maybe the, the different level of defense that we were facing. But I thought ultimately we'd be able to wear them down and pull it out. Um, and that kind of ended up being what happened. It took a little bit to get there. But uh, and, you know, we'll get into that. Um, I think, you know, we have to address the elephant in the room of the delay was about an hour and a half, probably a little bit longer than that. And. And we'll get into this later, but I think a lot of the sloppiness you saw sometimes, a lot of that can come from that just because it throws your whole game off. You're sitting there, you're stewing around, you're not really getting to do anything. Um, I, I think it affected the defense a little bit more than the offense, but it, it, am I being too forgiving maybe of some of the mistakes? Or um, no, I mean, you'd like to say they're better than that and they are able to refocus quickly, but I think the reality is they are college kids who – it's not easy to sit there for an hour and a half and waiting to anxiously get back out there and play. But I, I do think we need to be better there, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so it definitely, you know, we struggled out of the gate offensively. Uh, NC State was very, very aggressive up front. They were definitely selling out, trying to crash the box, try to try to pressure Sam Hartman, um, which was a big storyline heading into this game was Sam Hartman has been very mediocre excuse me, mediocre uh, relative to his standards, you know, against NC State. I think he was one and two against them coming into the game. Uh, the last time he had played them, he threw a couple picks in the end of the game. Not that I really thought they were his fault from what I watched, but that's just kind of how it goes sometimes. Um, so I thought the O-line struggled a little bit. Uh, they seemed lost a little bit on communication. I thought Rocco and Blake and Zeke Carell, to an extent, also they struggled with both, you know, talking to each other, passing guys off, but also just getting beat a little bit in pass pro. And Hartman felt a little rattled. Um, he it certainly felt like he was holding the ball a little too much. I don't know if you would agree with me there or not. Yeah, it definitely felt like there were plays he was holding it a bit too much and taking a little too much time going through reads. But I, I think it was more of the interior line just really struggled more than we would have liked to see in its first challenge. Yeah, but we really weren't running the ball all that much. And that wasn't, it, you know, we couldn't feed the passing game off of that. It's one of those things, though. Every team has it early in the year. The O-line is going to get better as the season progresses. You don't generally see O-lines get worse. Um, 
and I know we've got a bunch of highly touted recruits on the O-line. So the talent is there. It just kind of might take a little bit more time to gel. And that's kind of what the buildup of the schedule is for. Yeah. Yep. I, I completely agree with you. Um, so then we go to the break and we're sitting there. Audrey's eating a hot dog and everything else is getting kind of messed up at this point. Right. And we're sitting there patiently waiting, wondering how things are going to go. Uh, and then we come out and immediately we have that 80 yard touchdown run by Audric, which yeah. I thought, um, and, and now we'll, you know, we can start kind of talk about like what went well, I feel like for the offense, because obviously some of those issues ended up carrying into the third quarter that we just talked about, but largely there was a change after that. Um, and I thought that that play in particular was a really nice, uh, how do I want to phrase this moment of growth for Gerard Parker in that he found um, a formation weakness in NC state had Joe Alt lined up at tackle or at tight end, excuse me, next to Blake Fisher. And Audrey was able to run behind those guys for an 80-yard touchdown. You know, was able to see, find something that worked and made him pay. Yeah, I mean, it was desperately needed um, after a slow offensive start. It was great to see a home run run by Audric there. Um, on a not-so-serious note, I, I like the picture Because this is a very serious podcast, right? Yeah, right. I, I like the picture of Gerard Parker in the corner scheming up this different look he's going to do. And meanwhile, Audric Estime is just eating the hot dog. I think that's pretty comical to think about. And then it works to perfection. Rarely do I think Audric has ever done anything serious in his life. And I don't necessarily mean that as a criticism. That's just kind of how I think Audric lives his life generally. Um, He also, by the way, has like the absolute worst case all time. I think of you see a guy and you think he sounds like something and then he opens his mouth and you're like, oh, he does not (laughs) sound the way that he looks. Uh, Which, you know, nothing you can do about that, I guess. But so... Uh, the, the one thing I wanted to highlight in particular was, um, you know, part of the stuff that Parker was, uh, you know, changing, adapting, seeing what was wrong. Uh, NC State was playing very, very aggressively up front, trying to, you know, like make Hartman get nervous and make bad decisions. And uh, Parker was able to counter that with a lot of quick uh, dropbacks with the throws, but they weren't just short throws. They were bombs like right. on the field. We had Holden Stays against some of their linebackers. Holden Stays is a really good athlete. And as we found out, can catch the ball and run with it pretty well. And Hartman was able to just take the ball, rip it to, to him. And that was our offense for, you know, a couple drives there. And that really worked. Yeah, I think, I mean, Parker, I really liked what he did. It was, we used a lot of play action. Three of the four passing touchdowns were off of play action in a sense. And that's something we haven't really seen from their in quarterback in a bit. And part of that is also just sticking to the run, even if it's not working as well as we'd like it to. NC State, as you can see, late in the second half was just, sending everyone crashing they thought we were just giving it off and then Hartman just pulls it and has someone I mean that's good play call and good execution and just sticking to a plan and it's working out yeah um I also so it, it was a little interesting looking at the stats because uh we had roughly half the amount of first downs that we did the last couple of weeks like per game which you know no it is a bummer uh from the perspective of we didn't really get to grind out any drives you know like we we are known to do and certainly will do throughout this year but I don't think that's necessarily an issue if you're getting chunk plays because sometimes that's just how the game works, right? Like if you can get the ball downfield by just hawking it, then, you know, why not do it, right? Right. I think it's one of those funny things that we're not used to this type of offense in their name where you've had throughout the Ian book and even before that, it's, oh, we'll go on a seven, eight minute drive, get an eight yard pass, run for a first down, repeat. Like we aren't used to seeing this and it's going to be a little different. I think it's definitely good. Um but different. And I think that's kind of where part of the complaints are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm also a little guilty of it, but I'll no, it. no, Tommy, never. I, there are others that are worse. I'll go with that. <laughs> um, the last big point, I think really to make about the offense. So like, you know, we wore them down by the end. Like that's what we do. We figured it out. I thought the offensive line did a significantly better job 
as they got more comfortable yep. in the fourth quarter. We had three drives excluding the uh, the kneel down at the end of the game in the fourth quarter, and we had three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah. Audric was moving. The O-line was giving him some gaps to work with. Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price both also got in. Uh, Jadarian Price, I, or sorry, Jeremiah Love, I thought it was nice that they're giving him carries in the fourth quarter during like legitimate game time. I thought that showed a lot of trust. Uh, Jadarian Price had a little bit more of the wiggle, I felt like, that you know, like we've been hoping he can regain as he's coming back from his injury. Um, so that was, a, I felt like a bit of a return to a more, you know, Notre Dame football that we're used to at the end. Yeah, I think the other couple final thoughts for me on offense are one, they had said NC State hadn't allowed more than 30 in a game in their last 16 since 2021 or something. And mm-hmm. we scored 45. It's also, we scored 45 points and there is a lot of, I don't want to say miscues on offense, but not as crisp as it had been. Like we could have been better. We had what I think six, three and outs. We felt kind of upset at times about the offense. Yet we scored 45 points against a fine defense. It's exactly. got a strong secondary, not as strong front seven. So it, like that's a good performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, just a couple other points for me to empty out the, the bag here. Uh, we had uh, Merriweather finally flashing his athleticism on a 45-yard catch and run. Uh, Hartman was able to just throw it up to him kind of in stride. Merriweather kept going. Uh, he didn't really get to finish it because, as we saw, his cleat was falling off in the middle of the play, so he got caught a little bit earlier than he probably would have been otherwise. But, I mean, that's a that's a big uh, show from him, right? I mean, we've been waiting for that, and hopefully we can get him a little more comfortable. And by the time we get to Ohio State, hopefully we can use that more like as a core part of the game plan. Yeah, and then he also had a sliding catch taken away by an offensive pass interference call that I'm not going to share my thoughts on. But, um, I mean, that's just – it was a third down play, I think that was, and moving the sticks. It's mm-hmm. good to see that from Yeah, him. it was a slant too. You know, you need to be right. able to be a little physical when being uh, willing to get hit over the middle, and he did that. That was great. Um, another thing, um, just to – you know, I, I've been hyping him up now the entire season. I'm going to get annoying about it. But the Great House touchdown I thought was – Really impressive from him, incredible throw from Hartman. But I think it's also just very indicative of the the role, the importance that he's going to have this year in that, I mean, he had three catches and he only got 15 yards on it, but two of them were screens that they didn't necessarily work out because I didn't think we blocked particularly well, but they showed a lot of trust in him to create with the ball in his hands. And in the red zone, they're going to put him in there because he's a very strong guy who, even if he's not like getting a ton of separation from his guy every time, he's going to catch the ball every single time because he's able to outmuscle them and he's got great hands. And if Hartman can make throws like that, holy cow. Every week, Hartman makes like one, maybe two throws that I just sit there and go, wow, that's an NFL level throw. I You don't see that on Saturdays. And that was that one for the week yeah, for me. Yeah, that was, it was incredible. Um, and, and again, great house. Just uh, so many nice things to say about yeah. him already. You know, he's only played three games and he's already just a very impressive receiver. And, and he's only got, he's got more room to grow too. Um, and then lastly on the offense, um, I think it's really interesting how we've been able to spread the ball around through three games. Like we have four guys currently within 15 yards of each other. Uh, at the top of our receiving list, we have Jaden Greyhouse, we have Jaden Thomas, we have Holden Stays, and we have Chris Tyree. Have all they all have pretty similar production right now? Obviously, it's a little bit different in terms of uh, Chris Tyree is averaging like 21 yards a catch, and Jaden Greyhouse is at like 14. But uh, you know, we don't. Um, who, which reporter was it that said it? Like, we don't necessarily have a dominant number one wide receiver, even if I think Jaden Thomas will, you know, the will have the most production of all of them. But we just have a, a great depth in our cast, and we'll be able to use everybody every single game because Hartman knows how to find everybody. Right. It's this reporter, don't remember if it was Samson or Jamie, but they said we've got effectively four number two receivers. 
that means you just find the mismatch. And if someone's on a team's third or fourth DB who can't cover, you just find that, pick it apart, and force them to adjust. Mm -hmm. And this still isn't even counting. Again, Merritt, Tobias Merriweather could build off of this performance, and he could jump into that group too. Right. Uh, as could Eli Reardon also. Uh, that's actually my last question for you. This, you know, We can make a little discussion about this if you want. So, you know, Stays had that nice touchdown catch last week, wasn't involved much in Navy, and then just exploded out of nowhere today. And some of that was based on the scheme. You know, we knew we'd be able to get him open. But Holden Stays showed he's got great hands. He's a very good blocker, and he's an incredible athlete who can run after the catch, and he can just beat people in coverage. Does that change how you kind of view the offense going into Ohio State? Like, do you think that's going to be a significant factor? I think that definitely is. Um, I think we've kind of been waiting from the breakout. We knew he was talented. I think Evans is definitely a very good blocker, but he doesn't – like he's a capable pass catcher, but he's not like explosive and he, flashy. Yeah, he does not have that same burst that Stays has. Right, where I think if you had Stays in there, it's a little bit more of a matchup problem and coverage. Mm -hmm. um, I think it will be interesting to see how Parker continues to use the tight ends just because mm -hmm. he's a tight end guy. We've played a lot of three tight ends yesterday, so yep. I don't know. It will be certainly something that – I think we'll have a couple of wrinkles for Ohio State there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's really exciting. Um, I, I think it certainly changes kind of the shape of your defense when the uh, the middle of the field and that seam up top is really something that you have to consider because you know Michael Mayer was so great at that. It's, it's highly unfortunate that we did not have like this set of receivers when Michael Mayer was there because I mean he would have gotten so many more free looks there. Um, so that'll be really interesting to watch. Um, so we can talk about the defense, but first we will take a quick break. Largely, I thought the defense was pretty good. Um, two great, uh, you know, particularly in that fourth quarter there. Um, so the starters gave up 17 points. I'm kind of throwing out that drive at the end of the game where they scored because that wasn't a wasn't most of our guys, and b they were also just kind of mailing it in at that point. Um, so we gave up 17 points with the starters, and one drive was completely given up by penalties. I, we, we had I think it was 40 yards of penalties that we gave them. Two of them were unsportsmanlike conducts of varying uh, culpability on our players' parts. And then there was a, a hold on Harper that I also, did, frankly, didn't agree with. But other than that, I mean, we we shut him down. Yeah, I thought the penalties were obviously the biggest problem. Had a couple offsides, one that extended a drive, had a hands to the face. Just got to clean the penalties up. That's my biggest complaint on the defense. And then otherwise, solid. In particular, the secondary lived completely up to the hype that it had mm -hmm. been getting in its first true test. I mean, yep. the corners we knew were good. They were really good. And then the safeties, Watts and Brown, honestly might have played the best game that I've seen them play in their Notre Dame career. Oh, Watts undoubtedly had his best game. I mean, because, you know, Watts has flashed a lot of talent, you know, since he started playing safety uh, at the end of 2021. But, I, you know, and, and he started playing more significantly by the end of last year. But uh, the, one, the one question I always had with him was just, like, can we see, like, a specific example of, like, him having the ball skills really required of, like, a good safety, especially like in theory, the number one safety that Notre Dame has. Um, and he just hadn't really shown that. I mean, he like had like one near pick of Caleb, not Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, sorry, on a trick play uh, against USC, but he just never was never really around the ball too much other than that. Um, and I thought today was easily his best game uh, in, in that regard. I mean, he was aggressive in coverage. He was knocking down passes. He was jumping over dudes to knock a ball down. And then he got a pick, even if it wasn't like necessarily his like it wasn't because of him that the good pick, focus. Yeah, but he was he was there, which right. was great. He was either going to light that dude up or he was in perfect position to catch that ball, which yeah. I thought was great. 
Uh, and, you know, maybe you'll disagree with me, but that's another thing where I feel like it really raises the entire ceiling of the defense. If Xavier Watts can run around and actually, like, be a force in coverage. Right. I think we had known that the secondary would be strong at corner and kind of hoping that could cover up some uncertainty at safety. But yesterday, the safety showed they're up to that level, too. Mm-hmm. So I, my question for you on the secondary is, what's your evaluation of Thomas Harper? It seems like he's getting picked on, but he still is playing okay. Well, uh, the Navy get throw the Navy game out. Right. He he has never played against an option team in his life. That like that's just not. I, I don't care that he got burned for like right. a thirty yard pass against the Navy. I don't care. Um, I initially thought that Harper kind of struggled, but I rewatched. You saw me rewatching some of the game this morning. I rewatched some of it a separate time too, and the one penalty was just nonsense. I thought that was ridiculous. Um, but I honestly I thought he just got a little unlucky the more that I watched it because he was get he was tight in coverage on a lot of dudes and they were making some good catches. Um, and, and I thought he hit really, really hard too, which right. he's known for doing. He was great in run support. He was moving around. Like he was around the place, which I think was good. And yeah, he got beat a couple times, but you know, sometimes you can just have good coverage and get beat. And that's just how things go. Um, and he's also like, he's just going to be largely the release valve anyways, because we have two NFL draft picks at corner. So I, I think that he, we may have more complaints about him than is necessarily warranted throughout the entire season, just because he's going to get more balls thrown his way. Because wh- right. why are you going to throw it to Benjamin Morrison? We saw what happened when he threw it to yeah. Benjamin Morrison. I mean, he ran the route better than the freaking receiver did. Right. So. I, th- I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying there. It's just always interesting when you see a DB lead mm-hmm. the team in tackles for a game. Yeah. Um, it's it's also just hard because like you know you and I can watch the game and you know like guys like us like I feel like we know what we're talking about largely largely I will say. But at the end of the day, you know, on a TV broadcast, there's only so much we can right. see. Like, we don't know what else is open. We don't know what the quarterback is thinking. And we don't have the play calls, right? And even if we did have the play calls, it's not like we fully understand, like, what's going on, right? right. Like, I, I saw, um, you know, a big talking point on uh, Thursday was Jared Goff had that play where he had that incredible third down, was a fourth down conversion to uh, Josh Reynolds, like, through the hands of two dudes. Like, it was gr- a great throw. But Amon Ra was also opened down the seam for a touchdown and you had some reporter from the, I think it was the ringer. It was like trying to break down like, Oh yeah, Goff actually should have been able to reset his feet. Yada, yada. And throw it downfield. And then Kurt Warner comes out and is like, well, actually based on the play call that you correctly or incorrectly diagnosed, like he had no time. Yada, yada. Like we don't know what we're doing, right? Like we are not professional athletes. We have not done this before. So I think that's always going to be a bit of a struggle for us. Not that you and I aren't capable of figuring out kind of what happened generally. But there's going to be specifics like that that I think yeah. you and I are just going to miss. No, I definitely agree. I think is that word vomit enough to? I, I no, I definitely think you're right. I just been noticing something there with Harper, and I think he's a capable nickelback for us, mm-hmm. but maybe not. I mean, not as strong as the other guys, but that's still fine considering the other guys are that good. I feel like we also have been playing three safeties a decent bit too. Like the Marcus Freeman and Al Golden certainly seem to trust Ramon Henderson a lot more than I think you and I would have coming into the year. Um, and he's had some nice moments. He's also had like the the touchdown that we gave up at the end of the game. I mean, he just didn't even try to tackle the dude. But, you know, like he's shown some flashes. We still haven't really seen a ton of Antonio Carter, which is a little disappointing. But I think there's probably something to be said for transitioning a bit from the level of competition that he's used to. And, and that might take a little bit longer than we were expecting. Right. I don't I don't think we'll see too much of Carter. Um, maybe some more later in the year against weaker opponents. But we'll see on that. I think the interesting thing in personnel is we have been playing a lot of nickel and a lot of dime too it's maybe it's just the way college football is changing but we don't play a ton of linebackers jack kaiser since the navy game has barely seen the field which is interesting but when we're only playing two linebackers there's no spot for him 
Well, the thing that I'm curious, I'm glad you brought that up because I was another thing I was about to say was uh, something that Golden and Freeman had talked about in the offseason was the idea that Jack Kaiser was moving inside to Will and Maris Leifau was going to move out to Rover uh, because Maris was going to play more on the edge and it would allow Kaiser to play more consistently like on the inside where he's still a good linebacker. Uh, and that hasn't happened. Uh, Maris has played right. well. Maris has played more than either of the other two. I mean, J.D. Bertrand left with a, a concussion. So, uh, Kaiser, so Kaiser will be playing more going forward. Uh, not that we know how long J.D. Bertrand is out. But um, they really haven't played Kaiser a ton, which, you know, that's the reality of how these things are, is like you can only play so many linebackers in today's day and age. And Maris has been playing too well to, right. you know, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure I was complaining about it. It's just something different than I think we're used to seeing from mm-hmm. our name. Yes. Yeah. Well, we have the athletes to do it. Right. right. It's that crazy. Too. Yeah. When is our second? Like, legitimately, 2018. And when was the last time before that that our secondary is this good? I would say 2018 didn't have this depth on it. No. And frankly, I mean, Watts has a higher ceiling at safety than either Jalen Elliott or Haloe Gilman. In, in college, at least. Obviously, Gilman is an NFL player and has done quite well, but... You know, Gilman certainly wasn't like a, an incredible cover safety. Um, so, I, God, the secondary is so good. It's, it's so strange, isn't it, to have it is. the secondary as good as it is and to have a quarterback that can freaking sling it. it. Times are changing. In the running back room. And I mean, we've always had good running backs, but to, to have four all, or five deep, though, to have all four of our guys have like significant contributions was really something to watch. Um, so moving on to the, the D line, I think the next part to talk about is um, it, it really they were not very flashy, but uh, they did their job. And I think you and I were complaining a little bit more about it than maybe we should have. And then we kind of we looked through like I at least I looked over the stats and kind of what the results ended up being by the end of the game. And you, it, it really wasn't much to complain about. Right. I think there was only one sack, but I think, I mean, I read Freeman said they were trying to play a little more, maybe not conservatively, but a little more disciplined to try and keep Armstrong from getting running lanes. And when I watched the NC State UConn game week one, Armstrong was scrambling on third and eight and running for it every time. And I saw that probably five or six times throughout that game. And he ran for almost 100 yards just like that. He didn't have any of those yesterday where he scrambled and had a lane to get eight yards and move the chains. No. So what we ended up doing last week or yesterday was we tried to do like the QB contain. We tried to do what they call like the trash compactor where you just got the four guys rushing. You don't want to necessarily send too many people all the time. And you just slowly squeeze that pocket until Brennan Armstrong can't escape and he's got to make a throw. And if he can't make a throw, then you can sack him after that. Um, And that worked. I mean, Brennan Armstrong had 26 yards on 12 carries. Uh, didn't have a run longer than nine yards either. And the whole team had 84 carries on 30 yards total. So, I mean, the D-line was stout in the run game. And Armstrong really couldn't get a ton of throws off without pressure in his face. They did a really good job of pressuring Armstrong, even if they weren't sacking him, which was very similar to the Tennessee State game, I thought. Like, were we finishing? No, but we were getting a lot of pressure. Uh, and we only sent a couple blitzes. I think the the official number was eight on like 50-something plays, which like you'll take that. Like if you can get that much pressure without blitzing, it's hard to complain. Absolutely. And Armstrong definitely just felt flustered in the pocket and kind of got rid of balls sooner than he needed to and just balls that weren't close to where they were supposed to go. Mm-hmm. It was good to see the D-line cause a little bit of disruption. Um even if it didn't lead the sacks or TFLs really. And mm-hmm. they kind of gave up on their own game, Yeah, which if you can make a team one dimensional, especially against our secondary, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. 
Uh, and then, you know, maybe the last big point, and uh, we talked about the linebackers a little bit already, but I just want to uh, highlight Maris Leifau again, because I, I thought he was outstanding. Uh, he was in control, but he was still flying all over the place. I mean, we saw he blew up his screen. He was getting a couple of stuffs in the backfield. He, he just, he looks so different from last year. I mean, we're sending him uh, more off the edge than up the middle for, for as a pass rusher, but he's getting home. Like he, he's finding the quarterback and making the quarterback make a decision. Uh, and that more than the Watts thing necessarily is what actually makes me feel like the defensive ceiling is higher than I thought, because if we can have like a legitimate playmaker in the middle of the field, like that's just like, I love JD Bertrand. I love Jack Kaiser, like, and they're good players, no doubt. I'm not trying to knock them and they're valuable contribution contributors to the team. But if you have Maris, who's like a legitimate negative play machine, that changes the defense a little bit for sure. Right. This is really what he was billed up to be out of spring ball 2021 last year right that spring he was everyone saying oh he's just hitting everyone super hard in the right spot and then the season came around and he didn't do anything and everyone was kind of like what happened here and then this year he finally is putting it together in the games and through three games this is i haven't seen maris leafow look like this before and that's certainly a good thing yeah i'd completely agree with you um so i i, I mean i think that's overall um it's I've said this a million times. I feel like it's going to sound stupid. It's just really hard to complain when you look at the whole big picture. Because, yes, we struggled a little bit and it was ugly. But I think it's a testament to how good I think this team is that they struggled and then were able to pull back. And they were up 45-17 with two minutes left to go against a team that they were favored on the road by seven and a half points to a team that had lost one game in the last two seasons, basically, at home. Um, I, I just think this ended up being a really, really solid win, even if it didn't look like it was going to be a lot of the time. I agree. I think there was a lot to like, and really it was the first time we faced adversity and mm-hmm. we kind of overcame it. And there's definitely a lot to clean up still, but that's what you play these early season games for. And when you mm-hmm. have struggles and still win by 21, yeah, you can't complain too much. No. And, and I think it was a really necessary like test of adversity in terms of we needed to see can Gerard Parker make adjustments because that's going to be huge in Ohio state, right? Cause not everything's going to work. Sam Harmon is not going to average 12 yards an attempt ever. He can't right every <laughs> single game because he's doing it and it's crazy, but we're going to need to be able to adjust and find other things that work besides what we initially wanted to do. And I think that's really important that Parker showed he can do that. A man can dream that it's that easy all year. Right? Like, oh, man. It, it's just such a revelation watching this quarterback. But because, again, even Ian Book was a very good college quarterback. I think you and I would both agree. Yes. But there's just a command of the offense that Sam Hartman has that I have not seen from a Notre Dame quarterback since I have started watching Notre Dame football games. I think I agree with you there. It's he's it's crazy that he's 24 and is doing this. I mean, that's – He's a grown man. Right. That's basically having a coach at quarterback right there. It's mm-hmm. It's almost like – I don't. I know you're a big Pats guy, so I don't want to throw anything too crazy out here. But it's, it's almost like you have a Tom Brady esque presence, as opposed to having a rookie quarterback. Like last year, we had Pine, and he just didn't seem like he had presence at the line of scrimmage. Here, you have Hartman making these checks at the line, these reads. He's getting everyone where they need to be, and that's like a very veteran thing you see from an NFL quarterback. Um, and I think that's a huge difference from this year's team compared to last. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. Um, I guess one last thing I want to note, because we're not going to do a Central Michigan preview, basically. Um, I am excited to finally have a normal week for the first time, because Navy, it's in Dublin, uh, beginning of the season, raining, things are a little weird. And then you have the hangover, uh, like the travel, um, what am I looking for? Jet lag and all that coming back from Navy. Uh, And we saw, you know, 10 years ago, we saw Purdue, like we were incapable of doing just about anything. 
And even against Tennessee State, we looked a little off for a little bit there. Um, and, I, you know, I think a lot of that is just the players weren't in it, um, given the travel. And then you go to NC State, where there is a tropical storm coming through and delaying your game for an hour and a half. And the, the field conditions are still abysmal. It's still raining out even after that. So I am excited to have a home game in South Bend, where the weather is going to be perfectly fine. There is no travel, jet lag concerns, any of that. It's just regular football. And then we have a nice little tune-up game for Ohio State. Definitely. I don't know how much you've seen about Central Michigan, but I think this could get... Who did they almost lose to? New Hampshire. Ooh. Uh, they New Hampshire threw for 490 yards against Central Michigan, and Central Michigan's quarterback was, I think, 7 for 19. Oh. So I think Sam Hartman could be playing about a half of football again, which mm-hmm. I'm all for, and then hopefully everyone else stays healthy and performs how they should. And I think we should be very happy and excited heading into two Saturdays from now. Is there uh, anything particular you think you're looking for? Or is it more just kind of play vanilla and just like make sure people are just getting more comfortable and that's about it? Yeah, I think it's just taking care of business. I think I definitely want fewer penalties, um, clean up the penalties. I'd like to not see us blitz as much from depth, but that's something I think Goldman's going to do regardless. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing we can do about that, really. Right. Um, but clean up the penalties, stay healthy, do what we're capable of, and I think this is a 30 to 40 point win mm-hmm. without really breaking too much of a sweat. Yeah, what the line was already like 39 32. points or something. 32, like that. yeah. yeah. Um, so that'll be interesting. Uh, I think that's yeah. We'll, we'll do an Ohio State. We'll, we'll do an actual preview pod for Ohio State next Thursday, not this upcoming Thursday. Um, all right, so that's about it for Notre Dame. You want to talk about Texas Bama? We got time. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Um, this is a different college football world than we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. You, we've got Clemson unranked and Bama and hanging on for dear life in the top 10. And they, they're just such a different Bama team than we've seen. They continue to have the issue of penalties and discipline, and they just don't have a quarterback who can do what they've done in the past with that quarterback room and the playmakers, the receivers, they have good playmakers, not consistent enough. They have no running back. And quite frankly, Texas dominated them in the trenches. That was the most concerning part to me, I think, because I, and, and I'll, I'll give my thoughts on Melrose and, and like the secondary in a second. But, you know, Bama of old could always rely on they were just going to kick the crap out of you. And then by the end right. of the games, like they're just going to be in better shape and they'll do what they need to do to get done because they've got the bigger guys. And their line is freaking yeah. enormous. They had, I think, three guys that were over 350. They had a guard that was 320, and their center was 300 pounds, and he was the lightest one. Average weight, average size I saw yesterday was 6'5", 339. Is he correct, like 285? Right. It's crazy. It's just unbelievable. And they were getting mauled. Yeah. And, um, you know, Caden Proctor is their left tackle. He's a, a freshman from Iowa, uh, the, the state, not the school. Um, and I think it's kind of concerning if you're Bama that he's starting because obviously, you know, talent plays. Like Blake Fisher was able to play as a true freshman. But if, if you're Alabama and you have to start a true freshman at left tackle, that's got to be a little concerning, right, for the state of your line. And, I, you know, they weren't getting a ton of push. They weren't running the ball super well. And they were getting the ball run on them by the end of the game. Um, and then, obviously, you get into the secondary bust, which were um, – some of it is just, you know, Texas does have those really athletic receivers that they were given chances to. But they they were just getting burned pretty badly. Um, Milrow, I thought, was really interesting uh, and very frustrating. Uh, he seems like a – thicker version of Brandon Wimbush in that he's got an incredible arm, like genuinely like a great arm and he can throw it downfield. Like he can bomb it, 
Not that Wimbush even did that very much, frankly. But if you're asking him to do anything else other than run the ball, good luck. I think there was a play where he had a receiver on a 10-yard comeback route, and he bounced it five yards short, wide open, and then there was a halfback wheel route out of the backfield, and he just completely missed the receiver, the running back, which would have been a massive gain. It would have been a touchdown. We're talking about right. the one in the fourth quarter, right? Yeah. That would have been a touchdown. It's throws that you see an Alabama quarterback missing, your jaw just kind of drops because when's the last time they've had a quarterback who consistently can't make those throws? Yeah. And, you know, I know there's going to be some people that are listening to this that are going to get mad at me for saying this, but, like, how unlucky is Tommy Reese? Like, and I know he chose to go to Alabama and he knew what the quarterback situation was going in, but he schemed up multiple plays that were just perfect. And you just have to be a regular quarterback to make that throw. It's not particularly hard. It's a lot like Drew Pining in Stanford last year. Like, there's only so much you can do when you have a receiver streaking down the middle of the field or the sideline in this case, completely uncovered. And if the if you hit them in the hands, they're going to score. And then they just can't do it. Right. Like, what, do you, what are you supposed to do? That's just crazy to see that from Alabama. And I thought Texas was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go out here and say I thought they were by far one of the four best teams in the country. No. They're going to be in the playoff. It's also Sark. I don't think he has the reputation right. where you can just say, oh, yeah, they're fine. They'll be a top four team. They don't call him seven when Sark for nothing. Exactly. Correct. Um, I thought they Ewers played the best game I've seen him play. I'm oh, yes. someone who's – I coming into this year, I was a little skeptical on him. I saw him a little too inaccurate last year. He was really good yesterday. And then the receivers lived up to their hype. So I thought, and then the trenches, they were pretty good. So I thought Texas played one of the best games I've seen them play, but they weren't a Georgia. They weren't, I don't know. They were kind of equivalent to say a Penn state or something. Mm -hmm. Um, A very talented team, but not someone who you're scared to go play. No, and you know what their biggest problem is? They have to play Kansas. I don't think they do. No, they do. They're playing them September thirtieth. Oh, okay, that's okay. the same day that we play. Ohio. No, that's not. That's the same that's day the we play. After, yeah. yeah. So you know, if they got to beat Kansas before we can take them seriously, right. I think just right. you know, given Sark and all that. Um, it, it, you know what this game really showed me more than anything else? I think is my theory this year is going to be that there is outside of maybe Georgia, and it's just so hard to tell because their schedule is going to be so bad. But like. I don't think there's a very like Georgia may be at the top, but other than that, I don't think there's a clear cut contender this year. Like I think you're going to see a lot of teams in contention very late. I think so too. I think there's a lot of people like Michigan like that just because they have the best talent across the board. They've had after last year. No, right. They don't, they don't scare me like that. And then outside of that, there are a lot of teams who I think are really good, Mm -hmm. but I think every single one of those teams has flaws. Yes, exactly. There are eight teams that are ranked right now in the Pac-12, and they're all going to beat each other up. Like, you know, we'll see that happen. Oregon almost lost to freaking Texas Tech. Um, We, You know, Notre Dame plays Ohio State. We play USC. We play Clemson. Clemson and Florida State will probably play each other twice. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for a lot of different teams to really jump forward. Right. I think I like Florida State. I think they've looked really good early. USC's offense honestly can't look any better than it is. But the problem for them is that defense, it's going to bite them at some point. Yep. And they play, they play enough capable offenses that mm-hmm. it will bite them somewhere. Yeah. Um, yep. I think every team up there has some flaws. Ohio yep. State has their issues. Some people are still wondering, is our defense good enough? And is Hartman going to avoid turnovers in some of these games? Every team up here, I think, has – issues yeah 
but I think that's okay. Like I'm not complaining about that. Like it'll be, right. it'll be a really good product I think going forward. And, and frankly, this is another reason and you and I have disagreed about this before, but like with a 12 team playoff, like, yeah, maybe Ohio state, Michigan, isn't going to have quite the same stakes in terms of like, is it ending someone's season? Maybe not, but there's going to be a game where it's like Penn state versus say, uh, pick, pick a good team, pick like an Iowa maybe. And they're going to be fighting for a playoff spot because they're all still in it because they're all really quality teams. And I think that'll be cool to watch. It will be interesting. I think some years that's going to work better than other years. Yeah, of, co- of course. I mean, that's just how things but go, right? Like system. you'll have some good years, you'll have some bad years. So that's, um, yeah, interesting week for college football. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if we'll necessarily do like sweeping college football talk all the time just because I'm never going to watch enough games to like get a full understanding of it. But, you know, there will be some big games that you and I will be watching. We're going to be able to talk about those. Um, so Central Michigan coming up 2.30. Um, on Peacock. Get those subscriptions. Oh, yeah. All right. You you people that are not going to the game have fun with that one on Peacock. Get I, those subscriptions. Thankfully, my streak of not having to watch a Peacock game continues this year and may continue for many more. So thanks for listening, guys. Uh, am I going to do a pod this Thursday? There's nothing to talk about, right? Like, I can't do it. Can I do an NFL? You watched enough NFL today. You, can you can I do, do it on that. Thursday, though? Is that, Am I cheating the people if I do an NFL week one pod on Thursday? Um, Wednesday. All right, I will do an NFL pod on Wednesday. There we go. And then we will be back on Sunday for some Central Michigan post game, and then we'll go from there. So thanks for listening, guys, and we will see you on Wednesday.